heads up. I am recording this episode in the middle of a severe weather watch here in Atlanta. Lightning is flashing, thunder is rumbling, and we've made sure the emergency alerts are enabled on our phones. Today, by the way, is Monday, April 13th, and on a lighter note, it is National Scrabble Day. Hi and hello! You have found the podcast for moms who don't have time for podcasts. Edit! Or maybe this is the podcast for moms who have nothing but time. (laughs) You can think of me as your internet bestie as we share recommendations, laugh about the ridiculous things we see online, and cheer each other on. I'm Indiana Adams, and today, by the way, is the short and sweet podcast that hopefully brightens your day. I am so glad you're here. Easter was different than it has been in the past. We usually start the morning off at church and then celebrate at Chris's cousin's house where we stuff ourselves silly with ham and cookies. This year, the neighborhood Easter Bunny came around on a golf cart. We watched our church service live streamed on Facebook, and we gathered with family on Zoom. There were no sugar cookies and no ham. We had pulled barbecued pork and a salad that was more tomatoes and croutons than it was lettuce. We have reached the point in our isolation where the kids have done all the crafts and played all the games. We've also reached the point in our isolation where we're trying out ridiculous ideas that the kids float by us. Can we dress up at dinner tonight like we're eating at a royal castle? You know what? Sure. Can we watch a movie after dinner? Why not? (laughs) We had high hopes for a weekend camp out, but we made a mistake. We ordered our tent and sleeping bags and hammocks and headlamps via Amazon Prime, noting that they would be here by Friday at 9 p.m. and told the kids that if they came by 7 p.m., we'd camp out Friday night. But if not, we'd camp Saturday. Friday afternoon, I checked Amazon to see if our items were en route, and they had not yet been shipped because they're coming next Friday. (laughs) We apologized to the kids, and they took it well. I think by now, bless their hearts, they're a little weather-worn, used to plans getting changed or canceled. Soccer has been canceled. Ballet has been canceled. School has been canceled. Why wouldn't this weekend backyard camping adventure be canceled too? They can shake off disappointment more quickly than I can, and for that, I'm appreciative. One month in, at least one month to go. I have not yet cut my hair. If you've been with me since Today by the Way's debut, you might know that I hate things with a lot of little pieces, chief among them LOL dolls. Lego minifigures are a close second, but puzzles and board games round out the top three. We have been without board games for almost a decade. My children, for the life of them, cannot seem to keep all the pieces together. Uno and Skipbo are missing cards. Operation is missing essential organs, and I keep finding battleship and light bright pegs in all areas of our home. I do have a limited edition Trogdor game that I refuse to open stored in our bedroom. But last December, I did something brave. For Chris's birthday, I bought him a really nice Scrabble board. The children know it's very special to me and that they'll be grounded until high school if they open it and lose our pieces. Before we were parents, Chris and I went through a Scrabble phase. We had a deluxe rotating board, and most evenings we played a friendly, leisurely game. And then we watched Word Wars, a 2004 documentary that follows four competitive Scrabble players as they prep for and compete in the 2002 National Championship Scrabble Tournament. And a fire was lit under me. Here's what you need to know about me. 
I get way into something I know very little about and I get completely enthralled with it. And then once I reach some level of above average in it, I move on to the next thing. I did this with the game Dance Dance Revolution in college. I got really into Polaroid photography for a while there. And Scrabble was one of my early obsessive pursuits after watching this documentary. Chris seemed on board. We bought the official Scrabble Players Dictionary and a chess timer so we could play by tournament rules. This actually made the game a thousand times more enjoyable to me as my least favorite part of our Just for Fun Scrabble games was waiting on Chris to play a word. With a chess timer, we each got 25 minutes to play the whole game, so we suddenly started playing faster. For my birthday that year, Chris even got me a set of pink pro tiles. These are the tiles they use in tournaments that are smooth and printed, so you can't feel which letter is in the bag and you can't feel around for the blank. At this point, Chris and I were evenly matched, but then my obsession grew. I bought a Scrabble word building book and I memorized all two letter words. At the time, there were only 104, I think, but now there are 107. They recently allowed DA, short for dad, and they're allowing OK, since Webster now allows it to be lowercase. And they've added EW, like EW. <laughs> then after I memorized all the two-letter words, I memorized all the Q without U words. There's only 34 of them. QI was added in 2006, which makes Scrabble so much easier now. I swear I play COTS, Q-A-T-S, which is a type of shrub, almost every time I get the Q. And then after learning the Q without U words, I started working on memorizing all the three-letter words. <laughs> There's only a thousand and seven of them, so I started with the three-letter words that had high-value letters in them. Anything with a Z, that's just 22 words, and any word with a J, a Q, or an X. And then I just put in the hours. I would play daily with my friend Heidi, who was a much better player than me. We had a Tumblr called 365 Scrabble, where we tried to play one Scrabble a day for a year, and I did not win once. I started playing online, and I read a Scrabble strategy book that helped me with my parallel play and helped me to know optimal times to play the blank and when to trade my tiles, which is something I was always reluctant to do. I became a formidable player, and Chris could not beat me. Without an evenly matched competition at home, I wasn't having fun playing anymore, so we stopped playing. And then we had kids who kept destroying our board games. <laughs> had I kept playing, my next task would have been to memorize vowel dumps. Have you ever had a rack that was something like A-A-E-E-E-I-O? I have more times than I can count, so it is worth memorizing four-letter words that have three vowels or five-letter words with four vowels, etc. I did play Words with Friends about three years ago, and recently my friend Melissa asked me if I would play again, but I don't love it. The board is laid out differently, its dictionary is inconsistent, for example, you can play vape, V-A-P-E, but you cannot play vaping or vaped. And in Words with Friends, a bingo, which is when you can play all seven of your tiles at once, a bingo is only worth 35 points instead of 50. And most of the time, you can play a shorter word with just some of those letters and score more points. So I just didn't find it enjoyable. It's like when, it's like when someone serves you a Mr. Pibb instead of a Dr. Pepper. I mean... It's close-ish, but it's not really the same at all. I'd rather just have water. I'd rather just not play. <laughs> anyway, it is National Scrabble Day, so here is the Cliff Notes version of the history of the game of Scrabble. Today is National Scrabble Day because on this day in 1899, Scrabble's inventor, Alfred Mosher Butts, yes, that's B-U-T-T-S, was born. 
He was an out-of-work architect, and after writing a paper called Study of Games in 1931, he decided to invent a game. He was a fan of chess, crosswords, and jigsaw puzzles. He, in his paper, categorized the best-selling board games at the time into three categories. Number games such as Dice and Bingo, move games like Chess and Checkers, and word games such as Anagrams. He set out to make something that would appeal to anyone who liked any of those kind of games. So Alfred studied the front page of the New York Times to calculate how frequently each letter of the alphabet was used. He then used each letter's frequency to determine how many of each letter he would include in the game. He only included four S tiles so that the ability to make words plural would not make the game too easy. This game, called Lexico, had no board. It was similar to Bananagrams. You just drew the letters and made a crossword puzzle and got points based on the value of each tile. This was in 1931. He started playing it with his wife and friends, and he tried to see if Parker Brothers and Milton Bradley would buy it, but they were not interested. In 1938, he came up with the idea of adding the 15 by 15 grid and assigning multipliers and bonus squares. He called this game Crisscross Words. Again, he pitched it to various game manufacturers, but they were not interested. Instead, he sold his homemade game sets directly to his friends and eventually friends of friends. In 1948, one of Alfred's friends who bought an original crisscross words was James Brunot, a retired social worker looking for a small investment opportunity to grow his retirement fund. James bought the rights to manufacture the game in exchange for granting Alfred patent ownership and a royalty on every unit sold. James changed the name to Scrabble, which means to scratch frantically, and he and his wife set up a little cottage industry at their home to fulfill orders. In 1952, this is now 14 years after Alfred invented Lexico, Jack Strauss, the president of Macy's department store, played Scrabble at a resort while on vacation, and he enjoyed it so much that he placed an initial order for 100,000 units for his store. Well, the game is a hit. Sales rocketed from 4,853 copies in 1951 to 3,790,000 copies in 1954. Well... As you can imagine, James and Alfred were over the moon. James hired 35 workers and purchased a workshop to start manufacturing, but even with two shifts, they could only crank out 6,000 sets a week and could not meet the demand. So James sold the manufacturing rights to Sell Chow and Ryder, a game manufacturer, which had earlier rejected Alfred's offer. I love that Alfred had a pretty woman moment. I am certain when he met the executives, he said, big mistake, big huge. <laughs> and Alfred went on to earn three to five cents off of every game sold. More than 150 million sets have been sold worldwide, and roughly one third of American and half of British homes have a Scrabble set. Over the years, the rights have passed to Hasbro in the United States and Mattel internationally. Scrabble has been played at international championships around the world, as video games, and even on TV as a daytime game show on NBC. Alfred stayed mainly under the radar, but before his death in 1993, Alfred said of his royalties, one third went to taxes, he said, I gave one third away, and the other third enabled me to have an enjoyable life. I love Scrabble so much, but after this little dig into the game's history, I think I love it even more. I know, I know we're losing track of the days, but I need you to get Mother's Day on your radar, which is in just one month on May 10th. I love my in-laws, and I consider myself to be an excellent gift giver, but I don't know if I'll ever be able to top what we gave them last Christmas. Have you heard of Skylight? 
It's a touchscreen photo frame that you can email photos to and they appear in seconds so mom can see your favorite moments. Multiple people can send photos to the frame so she gets photos of our kids but also the grandkids in Florida and the newest grandbaby who lives in Boston. The frame sets up in under 60 seconds and even the most tech challenged will be able to do it. Honestly, it's just plug it in and connect to the Wi-Fi and enjoy. And if you are vying for favorite offspring, you can preload it with your favorite photos for a special Mother's Day gift. Send pictures that she doesn't even know you have. With all that's going on in the world, I can't think of a better gift to help you feel more connected to your loved ones. Right now, as a special holiday offer, you can get $10 off your purchase of a Skylight Frame when you go to skylightframe.com btw and enter code btw. That's right. To get $10 off your purchase of a Skylight Frame, just go to skylightframe.com btw and enter code btw. That's S-K-Y-L-I-G-H-T-F-R-A-M-E dot com slash btw. For today's Good Time, Good Deal segment, alert! HBO is offering free streaming for a portion of its shows, documentaries, and movies. Watch on demand or by downloading the HBO or HBO Now app from the App Store. And unlike a lot of these free trials, for this one, you don't even have to put your credit card in or set an alarm to remind you to cancel. This programming is just there, free, ready to be watched. Silicon Valley, which is one of my favorite comedies, is one of the free offers. Your time commitment would be six seasons, so 53 episodes total. But there's also a couple other shows on there that I've watched and enjoyed. Veep is on there. It's seven seasons, so 65 episodes. Big Little Lies is on there. Your time commitment would be two seasons, 14 episodes total. I haven't yet seen the second season. And then McMillions is on there, which Chris and I are working our way through. It's only six episodes long. We are on episode three. We plan to launch a Today by the Way Watch Club where we discuss a series or a movie together. So heads up, we might choose something from this HBO list since it's free for all of us. Do you ever feel like it's too late for you? Like you missed doing the one thing that could have propelled you to some form of success that you that you thought you should have achieved by now? When I was in college, I learned about Mindy Kaling, this whiz kid of a writer who was my age, who in college co-wrote the play Matt and Ben, which was getting national attention. She was writing and acting, and she was like me, an unconventional-looking and unusual-sounding performer and a quirky writer. It has been such a joy watching her career take off like it has, but it's also been kind of a sliding doors thing for me. Like, sometimes I wonder, should I have studied at Second City in Chicago like I wanted to? Should I have done the NBC Writers on the Verge program after being interviewed? I was sitting at a local IF gathering back in February. Why does that seem like it was so long ago? And Jenny Allen had these two college guys share their story of ministry at the very end of this telecast retreat we were all watching. And I remember thinking... I could see Jude doing that one day. He could gather a community and really make a difference in the world. And as I closed my eyes to pray for these kids and for my kids, I felt hot tears pricking the back of my eyelids. In my heart of hearts, I was thinking, it's too late for me. I've tried acting. I've tried blogging. I've tried writing. I've tried having a bloggers conference. I'm trying podcasting now, and it's not going as well as I had hoped. So 
I'm just going to give up on me and start helping my kids not miss the opportunities that I missed. And I got home and started picking apart my thoughts there. Why did I believe that it was too late for me? Was it because most of my hours are spent being just a mom? Was it because mom brain is real and there's no way that I could write a TV show now? Was it because my resume is small and mainly empty from the last 10 years? Was it really too late for me? One thing that I really loved about the history of Scrabble is that Alfred invented Lexico when he was 32 and unemployed. He was 40 when he had the idea to add the board to the game, inventing crisscross words. He was 50 when he sold it to James, and 53 when he saw profit for the first time. I wonder. I wonder in those 22 years how he kept the faith. I mean, he knew he had something good. He tried to sell it to a manufacturer from the get-go. He sold it to friends who loved it so much that they told their friends about it. And somehow, one board game ended up at a resort far away from New York, where he invented it, and was played by another man who was also from New York, who loved it so much that he got it into the hands of millions. This gives me so much hope. In January, Melissa Hunter, who is a TV writer and producer, tweeted, At the end of 2020, instead of 30, under 30, and next-gen list, please profile middle-aged people who just got their big breaks. I want to read about a mother of two who published her first novel, a director who released their first studio feature at 47. That's the list we want. Yes! Co-signing. Give me the list of women who hit it big after 40. Give me the stories of tenacity that show two decades of not giving up before seeing a profit at age 50. Show me a profile about a mom who took time off to raise her children, but finally, finally when she had a little breathing room, she said, it's not too late for me. And she got something done that she's always wanted to do. I'm linking that thread from Melissa Hunter in the show notes. It will make your heart sore. But let me read you a couple of my favorites. Lita Hong replied, I'm a mother of two who got my PhD and published my first book at 46, then published my second book at 50. Women often make major sacrifices for family in their 20s through 40s and aren't able to develop their careers until later in life. A user named Dandelion Mama tweeted, I'm a mother of four. I released my first full-length book at 40 and started law school this year at 47 with four teenagers in the house. Some of us are late bloomers, but wow, when we figure it out, fire emoji. Listen, this may not be the time when you can go back to school and get that master's or PhD. And this may not be the time when you can have time to write something or paint something or sew something or create something. But what I'm finding more and more is that life is in seasons. Some seasons are meant for planting or watering. There are even seasons meant for dismantling and letting things be fallow, which is a farming term that means letting the land be so it can recover. So that means a season of waiting. Not every season is a season where you can see blooming, but that doesn't mean that that's not a productive or useful season. Not every season is for harvest, but as long as we live, I think we can always be in a season of growth. So if you're like me, and I think you are a little bit, that's why we get along so well, I want to let you know that it's not too late for you. It's not too late for me either. We have to keep reminding each other of that. Deal? Okay, friend, that is it for today. As a reminder, this Friday, I would love to have an episode featuring your voice. I'd love for you to send me a voice memo or leave me a boxer telling me what's been good about this quarantine. And also tell me what's something you really miss. 
I miss hugs, and I'm not even a hugger. Just say your name and where you're from at the beginning of the message, and I'll take care of the rest. Email that to indiana at todaybytheway.com or leave a Voxer message for me at Indiana Adams. You know, I wish we could meet for an in-person cup of tea or a Scrabble game or a hug. I know there's a ton of stuff on your to-do list today, so thank you for making our show a part of your day. Stay safe, rest well, and know this. Today is a new day, and friend, I am cheering you on.